Welcome to our podcast, Force Majeure, the sequel, which follows up on our April 7th podcast on Force Majeure, during which we talked about defenses to performance under a contract based on coronavirus and the government stay-at-home orders that are related to the coronavirus. And once again, I'm joined by my colleague and partner, Barbara Wall, who's a senior partner in our commercial litigation practice. And she has litigated and mediated commercial cases on force majeure impossibility and commercial impracticability, among others, for many years. We're also joined today by our New York colleague and partner, Bernice Lieber. Bernice is also a senior partner in our commercial litigation practice. She's based in New York and she has litigated similar cases and participated for clients in mediations in the Southern District of New York and private mediation companies throughout her career. So welcome to both of you. Hi, thanks. And it's good to have you. So, Barbara, starting with you, when we last spoke, I asked you whether you expected that we would see an uptick in contract disputes when we uh, arising from the coronavirus, either now or when we return. And you gave the typical lawyerly answer of maybe or it depends. Um, What's your prognosis now more than a month later? So, Aaron, we are starting to see the first COVID-related cases filed in a number of jurisdictions. And while many businesses, like lots of people, are trying to assess the toll that the shutdown from the virus has taken before they move forward with any sort of claims, we are starting to see the first pandemic-related lawsuits being filed. Bernice, let me go to you. What types of litigation are we seeing being filed uh, related to the pandemic. And if you could give us a list of all the types of litigation that we're seeing. Well, we recently looked at filings since February of 2020 in New York, California, and in the DC area, including Virginia and Maryland. And we saw a number of patterns emerging. So for instance, there are breach of contract cases being filed involving the cancellation of scheduled events like the Comic-Con in Boston, where force majeure has been invoked by the non-performing party seeking to recover the ticket prices for its its purchasers whose event was canceled, or instances where franchisees could not meet construction deadlines and rely on force majeure to excuse their performance in building amusement parks around the country. There have also been cases involving real estate transactions gone awry, which fall into two basic categories where the buyers request extensions of time to close and have cited the pandemic and the sellers have refused to agree to go along and they want to retain their contract deposits. In cases where commercial tenants wanted to rescind their leases, perhaps for tactical reasons to renegotiate the terms. In many jurisdictions, and particularly in California and New York, there have been interruption insurance claims filed in a wide variety of industries, hospitality, nightclubs, restaurants, law firms, dentists, childcare centers, and contractors. Whereas college and university students are filing class actions around the country, seeking partial return of their tuition because they are taking classes remotely and are not really enjoying the full college experience. On the mergers and acquisition side, we see cases filed in the Southern District of New York where purchasers have sued directors, officers, and underwriters for violating sections 11 12A2 and 15 of the Securities Act of 1933, claiming that at the time of the IPO for their purchases of American depository shares of Phoenix Tree Holdings Limited, that in late January 2020, the offering materials materially misrepresented or omitted the company's exposure to significant adverse 
developments resulting from the effects of the coronavirus there, particularly on the housing market in China. Thanks for that list, Bernice. That's very informative. And for those of our listeners who are interested in seeing a more full list of the cases being filed, uh, my partners, Bernice, Barbara, and one of our partners in LA, Jerry Abels, recently published a list of exemplary matters. And that's available on our website at errantfox.com. And you can have a look there. And let me ask you again, Bernice, have any courts decided any cases pertaining to the coronavirus that would shed light on how you think future cases might get resolved? Well, there have been a few, very few emergency motions that have been decided to date in New York. The courts have uh, just this week lifted, as of this coming Monday, the ban on filing non-essential complaints. So we're certain to see more action here up in New York. But most cases that are being filed will go through the usual process that all lawsuits follow with conferences and discovery and trials down, way down the road. One case decided by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court on April 13th might be a bellwether for how coronavirus claims will be viewed. And it's very interesting because in that case, the plaintiffs challenged the governor's shutdown order, alleging that he did not have such broad authority under the Pennsylvania Constitution. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court pronounced that the coronavirus is a natural disaster. And that finding may be picked up by other courts and litigants when considering how to categorize the virus for purposes of contract performance, business interruption insurance, and other COVID-related claims. On the other end of the spectrum, in a four to three decision, the Wisconsin Supreme Court recently ruled that the governor's extension of the shutdown orders was way beyond his authority. So, Aaron, these cases are still developing. The rulings may vary dramatically, and we have yet to see what really is happening in the jurisdictions we've looked at. Got it. That's that's very interesting. So far, then, we're not really seeing court decisions involving uh, the non-performance issues. Barbara, why do you think that is? Well, there actually are a number of reasons. First, uh, most trial courts are still physically closed, and they're just starting to open up now. And while plaintiffs could, during the shutdown, still file COVID-related cases, things have been in a bit of a slow motion process. Lawyers are generally advising their clients that nothing's going to happen anytime really soon, given the hiatus in most courts. And when they are back in full force, the criminal case backlog is going to take priority. So for civil cases, at the points where the court has to make a decision, for example, on a motion or setting a discovery schedule, there's going to be a delay. And of course, we still haven't figured out what's going to happen with jury trials. There have been the first wave of jury trials that are being done by Zoom, uh, which of course poses logistical problems, but there may be constitutional challenges to doing Zoom jury trials. We just don't know where all that is gonna come out. Second, many businesses, both large and small, are still trying to determine if they're going to survive the economic situation. And importantly, whether they want to spend their money on litigation, if there's another alternative, or if they're going under, if they're going to bankruptcy court instead of moving forward with breach of contract claims, they have to consider how the business is going to proceed. Third, the federal legislation that has made loans available is helping some businesses and also frustrating others. So that might impact on what money is available for litigation or not, or whether uh, parties want to put their litigation funds towards litigating with the federal government rather than with breach of contract claims. 
And finally, as a culture, we are still trying to sort all of this out. The initial sense that we're all in this together and some contracting parties were willing to cooperate and waive performance may, as this drags on, give way to less cooperation. And we need to see how that is going to affect the national mindset. So, Bernice, let's let's look at reopening uh, in that time period. And what do you think will happen with force majeure impossibility and impracticability defenses once litigation resumes and, in a way, we're looking back at what we just went through? Well, the actual contract provisions will govern, and the courts will be taking a firm look at where the COVID-19 presents itself, either as a unique situation and, therefore, a departure from the way courts have looked at it in the past. But the real question is whether the litigation we are seeing over the COVID will apply to contract breaches, particularly breaches involving the payment of money, because traditionally many of these defenses do not work over the payment of money. And Barbara, is there a viable uh, and faster alternative for commercial entities that are that are facing these sorts of issues? Ah, I thought you'd never ask. Absolutely. Uh, These are cases where mediation makes perfect sense. And tell us about mediation as a tool. I guess first for our listeners who may not know about mediation, let's talk about what it is and then how it might be useful and differentiated from arbitration. So mediation is a voluntary process. It's a mechanism by which parties agree to have a facilitator assist them in getting to a resolution, bypassing the courts and arbitration. Arbitration, in contrast, is more like a court process where there's an arbitrator instead of a judge, but there's still a hearing like a trial. And how would mediation in the coronavirus world or maybe post-coronavirus world work and how would it look? Parties uh, that have breach of contract claims against each other with defenses like force majeure and its cousins in practicability and impossibility could consider mediation before going to court. And as I said a minute ago, it's a voluntary process and it doesn't even have to be in the party's existing contract. They can still agree to mediate to try to resolve their differences. And one of the great advantages of doing that, aside from avoiding what is going to be very clogged court system, is that they have a lot of flexibility in figuring out how to design a mechanism to come to a resolution. They can select their own mediator. They can set their own parameters for how they want to proceed. Uh, For example, they could agree to take two weeks to try in earnest to resolve their dispute and um, even set a starting point for negotiations, like a certain dollar amount that would be paid. Then they could jointly select the mediator who um, might have a special type of expertise in their contract subject matter who could handle their process. And you can find a mediator through a law firm. For, For example, both Bernice and I are trained mediators, and we have a number of other lawyers in the firm who do this. Or parties can go to agencies like JAMS or the American Arbitration Association, who also have a panel of mediators, uh, neutrals, as they're called, to uh, help parties resolve their disputes. And the reason why a private solution is so good, given this post-coronavirus legal world, 
is that the courts may not provide much help. While there are court mediation programs, they typically cannot be used unless and until there is, first off, a pending lawsuit, and second, that the proceedings have reached a certain point where the judge will say, I need to send you all to mediation. Private mediation can be done at any point and you don't have to be in court to have a mediation process go forward. And Barbara, for our listeners who may not have been through a mediation or done that before, tell us a little bit about what the mediator's role is and what the mediator does. Well, essentially, um, the mediator is the midwife to the resolution before having to go to court. To be clear, what the mediator does is not be an advocate for any party, but work with each party as a neutral to help the parties figure out how they can come to a resolution without having to go through the entire litigation process. And obviously, if parties arrive at a place where they need mediation, there's a dispute going on or brewing. And so why would mediation be the good choice in the commercial world rather than just filing a lawsuit and going forward in the ordinary course until a judge forces you to do this? There are a number of reasons, particularly good given where we are now. First, businesses may need some help getting back on their feet after all of this. And part of recovery will be presumably achieving some type of certainty about outgoing payments, liability, uh, where you're going to put your energies as part of your business. In other words, achieving an early resolution of these issues may allow a business to put this dispute behind them and move forward. Secondly, mediation offers a solution that is usually less expensive than going through litigation. Mediation can take as many sessions or as few sessions as you want, but uh, lawsuits are typically expensive and time-consuming, and they're also very distracting for business. So mediation alleviates the expense and the distraction issues. And then third, the coronavirus actually provides us with a very unusual circumstance. Usually in litigation, there is some emotional component which can drive even business litigation. So some party feels like they've been harmed. Um, There's some bad feelings. In fact, usually both parties feel like they've been harmed and there are bad feelings all the way around. Here, um, the coronavirus is the bad actor and it has impacted everyone. So it might be a way to neutralize the emotional component that sometimes makes litigation go longer and harder and more expensively. Bernice, let me go to you. As an experienced mediator, what do you think about what Barbara just said? I think Barbara is right on. I think she has nailed the points that need to be accepted by people around the world and about businesses confronted with a terrible contract or business dispute that seems intolerable. And I think mediation provides a sane, economical an even-handed way of dealing with an otherwise terrible situation that can't be remedied through the court system. And I suppose that's exacerbated in the situation we're in with COVID-19 affecting literally everybody's business. Yeah, that's right. I think I think the other facet of that we have to keep in mind is that we may not be going back to a full-time court system the way we had one. With the advent of all the technological advances and judges more than willing to have conferences 
virtually as opposed to in person, there'll be a necessary slowdown in the, in the movement of cases. And if a client really wants to get the ball on the road and put it behind them, this is the only viable option. That's great. Well, listen, thank you both for your thoughts and comments today. That was very interesting. Thanks for joining me. And for our listeners, for more in-depth coverage on force majeure and related COVID-19 topics, please go to errantfox.com. You can also go to managingautomotive.com and find these and other podcasts that may be interesting. Barbara and Bernice, thank you. And thanks to our audience for joining.